1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nina Pantic, and I'm joined in this episode by my co-host, Arena Falcone, and our special guest, Craig Cardin. Cardin is a longtime WTA and ATP coach, and we met up with him during the U.S. Open on his birthday, actually. And he was in town looking for a new player to team up with. He got a start in the late 1980s with none other than Martina Navratilova and has worked with Lindsay Davenport, Mary Pierce, Jennifer Capriotti, Anna Ivanovich, Xavier Melise, Coco Vandeway, and a lot more. He's also a longtime coach for World Team Tennis, spending the last decade or so working with the Philadelphia Freedoms. So he was part of Taylor Townsend's hot summer that led to her U.S. Open breakthrough. Let's jump right into our chat with Craig Carden. So what's what's in the life of Craig Carden right now? I mean, you're a
2: world-class coach and you've coached both ATP and WTA. So what's, what's going on with you right now?
3: Um, right now, what's up in my life is I'm fasting because I have a big dinner planned at uh, a large steakhouse. And we're going to talk about uh, Texas Guns Politics with Boris Becker, which will be interesting. And, uh, you know, he doesn't like that so much, but uh, we don't talk about politics. But he likes to talk about politics. And, uh, yeah, so I have a bunch of friends that we're going to meet for dinner. And I'm here uh, having a couple of meetings with prospective players, um, you know, WTA, ATP. We'll see. Kind of leaning towards ATP at the moment. It's looking like that's the horse that's going to get in the head right now. You know, it's really interesting to kind of see the qualifying and see a lot of the the players coming up. Um, Corey Gauff, you know, she's one that uh, really interesting to watch. All that attention on one tournament, Wimbledon. Uh,
1: what do you when you're so you're right now you're looking for a player? What are the assets that you want most in someone? You said a guy this time. That's,
3: well, that's I, Cool, but um, really somebody that I feel like uh, I can have a rapport with and get and make them a better player. Really, that somebody who wants to get better and that would be a good fit for both of us. You know, I'm not I'm not just out here looking for a paycheck. I want it to be engaged and. Um, help somebody who wants to be helped, first of all, but also that I feel like with my style and, you know, kind of the what I look for in, in a player to help them, you know, get the most out of their game.
1: What's the hunt look like? Do you send out texts? Do you talk to players, coaches? Well,
3: I'm probably the worst self-marketing person in the world. So, you know, I do have a past of past experience and uh that does count for something but i don't really i i go after a few players when i feel like wow i'd really love to work with that person i think they're great you know and i'll call the agent send out some text messages um you know a couple of friends who are commentators may tell them and uh you know maybe get a mention on air
2: so um I just, I'm just curious because a lot of people think that it's just players that have agents and do you have one yourself no. or? Okay.
3: No, no, no. Uh-uh. No, I've had some friends in the past that have helped me out. Um, had, um, actually Marianne Deschwart was helping me uh, negotiate a couple of deals a long time ago. Um, cause I don't like to ask for money, but it really helps when you have somebody else kind of do those dirty deeds. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I, I, never had an agent. I, i Really, kind of negotiate against other agents. I mean, that's kind of the deal.
1: And you come surely highly recommended. You've had 30 years of experience. You've worked with Navratilova, Pierce, Davenport, Ivanovich, Vandaway. I mean, just a slew of players that
3: Bogomolo. have
1: all succeeded and done great things. Elise,
3: so nice. was there.
1: Was Gibbs the most recent player you worked with?
3: Yes. Yeah, Gibbsy.
2: Okay, so you're 58 years young today. Today. What makes you keep going? I mean, a lot of people wouldn't I think... Love of, I, love,
3: I love, love it. I love tennis. I love it. Yeah, I like the sound of hitting the ball. I like the sound of players hitting a crisp ball, hitting it a little bit better. I can actually close my eyes and be present in a match, and I can tell who's winning and who's losing just by the sound of the ball. I remember the first time um, I was... Um, in South Africa, and I saw this redheaded, sloppy, a little bit overweight kid uh, grunting and snorting and just uh, really upset. But I could hear him hitting the ball, and he's 16 years old. It was Boris Becker. And I called my dad that night. I said, I think, I said, the way this kid plays, I said, I think he can win Wimbledon. And that was in 80. Seven eighty-six, and he won Wimbledon that next year. This was in the fall, and he won Wimbledon next year, and then did it again. And so I, I just the the sound of the ball hitting the racket. I think for me is really what does it. Plus, I I, I just I like the challenge of making people better.
1: I don't think I've ever heard that as a reason before.
2: That's definitely new. (laughs) So um, Nick Boliteri is someone that comes to mind when he says that he can like see. Back in the day, it was, I think, a little easier to see a player and you're like, they're going to be good. I mean, that's what he did with uh, Agassi and uh, Sharapova, I believe. And he would just see it and he was like, all right, they're going to be good. Mm -hmm. Would you classify yourself kind of in that realm too? Like you see something that others don't?
3: No, I wouldn't say that. I would say that Nick, his specialty is being able to pick out that one thing. Once he gets you under his wing, he can pick out that one trait in your personality that's either holding you back or making you great. And he can identify that like right away. And he's very good at pointing things out to make you better. And I would say I'm... i kind of look for those types of things, but every player is different and you have to handle every individual differently on how you go about uh, making them better. You know, you can't pound on somebody who, who's not acceptable to be pounded on, or sometimes you need to pound on somebody. You need to go um, out of your comfort zone to, you know, be more strict and be uh, disciplinary and to make them better. You know, and some of them are over-disciplined and, you know, they overdo things and you got to make things simpler and, you know, point out to make the player have fun. And so there's not one particular style, I would say. It's just, I'm pretty adaptable to whatever the situation is and just try and make it fun for both of us. Otherwise it just doesn't work.
1: How much of coaching is coaching the player as a person more than like their tennis and their tactics?
3: Oh, interesting question. Uh, probably more, probably more coaching the player first because you have to get in there first of all, and then you you know you got to get to know the player with their personality and how to communicate with them before you can start talking about tactics and strategy and how they use the court, you know, their technique and that kind of thing.
1: Who was your first? I guess big break. Someone was it a Martina. certain player, Martina?
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, Start at the top and work my way down.
1: <laughs> so how I mean, how did
2: that relationship come about? Like how were how was that connection made?
3: Um, I was in high school practicing at Brookhaven Country Club in Dallas, and she was uh, being coached uh, by Mike Estep, I believe, uh, early late early eighties, oh. and I, I'd just gone off to college and. She saw me hit or Mike saw me hit at the club and asked me to practice with her. And so through the years when I was at college, I'd come home and um, whenever I was home, we would practice together. Um, and then I'd see her on the tour and I had just quit uh, in 87, 88. And I was working at the Four Seasons in Irving and she came out and we practiced a few times with Tim Gullickson, um, has since passed away. While back, Um, but Tim and I were friends, and um, he could not travel. I think the next year, his wife wanted him to stay at home, and Martina asked me to go on the road with her, and so I kind of started off as a hitting partner slash coach, and I was in way over my head for sure. I mean, Martina was two in the world, Um, Steffi and Monica were kind of dominating Jennifer. Actually, Jennifer was coming up, but um, I, I started on the road and, you know, was her coach um, and immediately she lost a couple matches that she probably shouldn't have. And I talked to Billie Jean King and asked her for some help and, and Martina hired her as like a consultant. And so she kind of told, helped me
0: coach Martina and I got better.
2: Hey, listeners. We're here with Craig Carden. He's catching us up on his life. He is a world-class elite ATP and WTA coach, has been around for a very long time. Let's get back to Craig Carden. So, okay. So a lot of people, you know, they say, okay, I'm the hitting partner. I'm the coach. When do you think that shift happened?
3: Right away, actually. Um, She did listen to me, but I learned a lot in a short period of time. I kind of had some instincts on what she needed to do a little bit better. But she was pretty much burned out. Um, She had gone through a slew of coaches after Mike quickly and was kind of looking for the answer. And I think she wanted to get rid of me. um, And Billy said, no, you know, he's not the problem. And um, we just kind of worked together. And, you know, Billy was around less. and But we, we did work a lot together, and I learned a lot. But, no, I mean, I was coaching her. I, was, I had to hire hitting partners at times. Um, I broke my thumb one time when I finally – she finally talked me into skiing in Aspen, and I prominently fell and broke my thumb so I couldn't hit for a while.
1: <laughs> do you have any – I mean, that's a pretty memorable story, but do you have any most favorite memories of working with her or something that stands out to you of any player that is your favorite –
3: Um, yeah, I mean, there were several great moments. I mean, there were, there was a lot of tournaments that she won. That was just her and I, and, um, you know, talked about certain matches she got through. I mean, a lot of times she would just go through a draw and just shred the draw and then maybe have one or two tough matches at the end. She won LA a couple of times and, um, she got through, uh, Sydney. I mean, early. These were early on when I was coaching her. Um, but one particular match that that I would say was most satisfying for me as a coach coaching her. We arrived in Paris. It was a Paris indoors, and her and Monica were number one, and two seed. And we started hitting on the center court. And it, this was a thirty-two draw, but it was with by, so she was basically in the round sixteen. And we we started practicing. And immediately she just started crying. The court was so slow. And she's like, I have zero chance of beating Monica on this court. Not just, I said, well, you know, we got to get there first. You know, that's number one. Number two, you know, let's just worry about first round and get ready. And, you know, the timing's going to be different. You know, we'll get the tension right in your rackets and let's not worry about it. And we fast forward and, and she had met somebody there who, uh, was watching matches and very much involved with her personally. And I'll never forget right the night before the finals, I put together this great game plan, you know, wrote on this piece of paper, Monica does this, you're going to do this and this and this. And then she absolutely did the game plan to a T. And so we get, she wins it. And she says, thank you and everything. I like to thank my, my box and my supporters. She comes to me and, She won a car at the end of it. And she said, Craig, do you think I should give the car to so-and-so? I said, what do you mean? She goes, yeah, for the assist. I mean, she had met this person like a couple weeks and then she wanted to give her a car. I was like, oh, okay, fine, yeah. I said, no! (laughs) What about me? Who got the car? Yeah, so I think she just turned it in and got the cash, which was most of the time. I think she won like Remember the tournament, in uh, Stuttgart, you know, the Porsche tournament? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's had about eight or nine of those. You know, Lin- Lindsay has a nice collection, too.
2: The fact that you've been able to coach, I mean, for however long you've been coaching. 30 years. And 30 years,
1: okay.
3: Wow, you did a little research. Is it that long? <laughs>
1: it, said, it said 1988, so.
3: Yeah, that, that was when I first, yeah.
1: When we were you with Martina? Was it then the 90s?
3: It was 89, actually. So right away. Yeah. And you
1: played professionally. Yeah. So you had that as your resume going in. I think that's a big boost.
3: Yeah. I don't think 283 is really much to stock at, you know.
1: Once you were plateaued at that
2: ranking, is that when you were like, I'm done?
3: No, no I was done. I just I couldn't do it anymore. Plus, I ran out of money, which is really yeah, kind of a reason to, you know, get a job. <laughs>
1: how, how tough is job security, though? Because I feel like the coaches oh, and players change every month, every week, zero. every day.
3: Yeah. You got to be. I mean, that's one of the things I learned right away is you have to be willing to go on the court every single day and get fired and stick up for what you believe in it's a weird dynamic the player is technically the boss and the money but you're but they're hiring you to be the boss and if they don't like what you say you're out of there
1: (laughs) that's intense and they're younger than you way. yeah yeah they're significantly younger than you and they're telling you what to well, do, but you're doing. Well, now them they
3: what are. It used to be the other way around. <laughs> I was younger than Martina when we started.
1: So, 30 years
2: on I the still
3: tour. still am, by the way.
2: That's right. <laughs> okay. So, so, 30 years on the tour. Is there like one piece of advice that you would say has been able to help you with every single player you've ever worked with? Like one ability or something that you say to them that's just resonated with each, like each one?
3: Just be true to yourself. And, and, uh, as a coach, I've learned to really be patient and listen, you know, don't talk at somebody rather have the conversation to open it with them, trusting you to be more open because you're not judging them as a coach. You know, our job is to make them better and that that's what you have to do. And so really just be patient and uh, timing is everything (laughs) when you when you're a coach i mean you basically you know with the best players and when you're in that moment in a grand slam you've got basically five minutes of a window of opportunity and you better hit a home run there otherwise you're done or you've missed your chance and you may never get another chance for that player
1: Okay, we said thirty years. We've dated you. What has been the change from your job role when on-court coaching came around? Are you a fan? Do you enjoy being able to get out there, or is it something you're kind of annoyed with the extra burden?
3: Well, I'm annoyed with the everybody seeing and knowing what you say. I mean, most of the time for the girls, it's you know they're emotional. Everything comes out so you know, passionate, and, but, you know, we're, we're on a camp we're got a mic. you know, you might not want to say that, you know, I won't say names, but Coco is very much op- open and uh, with her opinions. And a lot of times it, it's just a matter of, you know, they want to just get a lot of stuff out and has probably maybe 5% to do with coaching and more, more about, okay, we need to calm down here. Let's just, you know, get through your service game. Um, I'm, I like the coaching, but, uh, I'm not a fan of the microphone and everything being out in the open. I think it'd be a lot better of just kind of having a one way, you know, like let us control what's being like maybe the coaching and the strategy, um, a little bit of back and forth, but, I mean, sometimes it can just be a nightmare. I mean, you just go out there and you just have an argument. <laughs> yeah.
1: I feel bad because those viral moments are the ones that I love. Not, oh, I, know, yeah. I, I can relate. I know how horrible it is for the player and their coach, but at the same time having them like everyone takes the mute off and tunes in. Like it's
0: oh,
3: guaranteed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. there's been some beauties. Huh? Michael Joyce and Maria, uh, Sam and, and Garbine. Actually, Coco and I had some good ones.
2: Petrova and her old coach as well. I can't remember. Oh,
3: um, well, that was Richie.
2: Yeah, like he he uh, he called the other player the B word. Like, oh, yes, it no. Was, yeah, and she was like, you know you're mic'd, right? Oh, no. It was yeah. not good.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Do you get sanctioned for that. Now you can't, you get kicked out. I think there's been a couple coaches that have lost their privileges actually.
1: Which what makes the, sense. Yeah, it makes it, it makes sense. What are, what are the biggest challenges? I mean, right now, obviously trying to figure out who fits with you, but mm. do you ever think like, I'm going to spend the next three hours sitting in the sun courtside watching this, like traveling around the world, flight delays, hotels, like what's the parts that suck?
3: Well, all of that. <laughs> the sun, sitting in the that's sun part, the, I can't. The uh, everything but the coaching, you know, I don't, I don't particularly like the travel, but you know, I don't mind staying in nice hotels, you know, but that depends on what player you're coaching and their level of, you know, income. Um, I like the nice hotels. I don't like the travel. Um, you know, I, I just, I like the coaching part. It's tough. The tough things are, you know, getting practice kind of organized with when you're on the road, finding practice partners, you know, the, the shuffle of who's practicing with who, you know, do I have to get a guy? Do I have to get this person lefty, righty? You know, how do they hit? And it, it varies for players. Uh, they're all different, you know.
2: Where you're located right now is in Texas.
3: Dallas. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Dallas, yeah. Texas.
2: So how hard is it? Like, for example, if you go and you grab a player that's in California and Florida, how hard is that for you? Like, would you rather be able to find someone that's in Dallas like how hard well is-
3: I, I've coached um, some players who have been through Dallas I mean um, Alex bogomolov he came through my house and stayed with me for a while uh, Sam Query he lived in Dallas I had a couple players I coached locally then ended up working with Sam a little bit maybe a few days <laughs> but uh, we had talked about working together um, you know it doesn't matter to me I mean I, I'm I'm I don't mind to travel to them. It's whatever's best for the player. I've got a great setup there, though, uh, at the Four Seasons Resort and Club. And actually, a, there's a few pro players that live in Dallas. Uh, Isner lives there now. Alex Kuznetsov, who's uh, Maria's hitting partner.
1: What's the awkwardness level like when you finish with a player and see them on tour the next week?
3: I'm for me. I don't care whatever. It's a small world. It doesn't, you know, I, I see Coco, you know, we had our moments of, you know, she hated me for a while and that was, that was kind of tough, but now we're friends and, you know, I, I want the best for them. You know, you do sometimes have some awkward kind of, uh, non-communicative, uh, yeah, you're done moments where, you know, I've never had, had to do that, but, uh, I've had it, you know, I've had, I've been fired quite a bit. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: All right, Tennis.com podcast listeners, we're here with Craig Carden talking about where he is in his coaching career, reflecting on his best experiences on court, and looking ahead to his future. Let's get back to Craig Carden.
2: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your summer. You were the coach for the Philly Freedoms this summer, and you are obviously Not a rookie, if you will, to the whole world team tennis action.
3: Yeah. I've gone, okay, let me name the teams. Delaware Smash, New Jersey Stars, Atlanta Thunder, Philadelphia Philadelphia. Freedom. Oh, wow. And I think I've won four times. We've won it. And not all four were with Martina, just to be correct. like Yeah, but... Three of them, I think, were with Martina. When, when Mar- we had Martina. She played all three events, and I mean, that's a slam dunk for world team tennis, you know, mixed women's doubles and singles. Um, but the last two years with Philadelphia, we've had the best record in the regular season, but we lost in the playoffs. Which, yeah, when you play for Billie Jean King, that's kind of a a loss.
0: Does
1: she get Does she get upset when her team doesn't win?
3: Yeah, not upset, but just, you know, she wants to win. She's competitive. She's a champion. I mean, there are certain things that, I mean, there's a lot of things I've learned from her, and being around her has just been, you know, amazing. It's a it's a blessing. It's a gift that she has. But what she didn't understand is not everybody is like her and thinks like her. And getting players to kind of believe at that highest level and do things the way that she did them, or the way that champions do. Not everybody is built that way, and so you take you know this scramble of players that I get each summer, and you try and make make the best of it. And it's fun. I mean, I really enjoy it. We've had a good group. We had, I think, we had like five different men's singles players this year. Uh, our guy was hurt. Yeah, I think he showed up hurt, and we didn't know. And so we had to get somebody else and uh, another guy like every week. We had Chris Eubanks, Tommy Paul, Mitchell Krueger. I mean, we had the best record. So
1: Adrian Manorino?
3: Yes, Manorino. Yeah, he was really great. Him and Tommy and Chris. Uh, Mitchell ended up playing in the playoffs with us.
1: Did you have Feliciano Lopez play? Yeah.
3: Yeah, we had Feliciano. That's fun. Well, yeah, don't you think?
2: <laughs> he also played for the Orlando Storm. Yeah,
3: he did play for the Orlando Storm. Yeah, and so he had the worst record of the of any quote unquote marquee player. And he played one match for us and he won it. He uh I put him last to play against Sam Query. And I think we were up by one game and so he had to win that match for us to win. And it was really funny. There was a great coaching moment. I went out there. It was uh he was down 2 4 in the tiebreak, which is a 2 5, and he had the last three serves. And so I called timeout and I went out there. I looked at him. He looked at me and he just said, I said, Well, you're going to hit a first serve ace T, and then you're going to hit a wide serve ace or unreturnable. And match point, you go body. He said, Yeah, that sounds like a plan. And he went ace. He went out wide, unreturnable. And then, for all, I think he missed his first serve, and he served and volleyed on the second serve, and we're all like, And he made the volley, and it was not a great volley, but and that was it. But it was fun. He kept looking over and giving us a fist pump, and it was his only singles win of the whole season. (laughs) He won with the freedom.
1: What keeps bringing you back to World Team Tennis? Billie
3: Jean. (laughs) She keeps bringing me back. She... Um, yes, touch and go there sometimes, uh, she wants to win and, um, you know, she wants to give other coaches a chance to coach, but, um, you know, I've done it for so long. It's kind of easy for me. I know the ropes and what to do and, um, it, it's just easy. And I, I, make the players feel comfortable about playing, but trying to talk players into playing team tennis, that's another, that's another story. It's, it's not easy. It's not an easy sell. Like it was a long time ago, three weeks in the middle of you know, a couple of, uh, for ATP 500, you got to miss Washington, and for the women, you got to miss uh, what San Jose. You got to miss two and Washington, so it's a tough sell. The money's pretty good, but you know you have no points, and it's a grind. I mean, you're you're traveling a lot, but the players who really commit to it and buy into it they get better, and they usually have better results because of playing team tennis. That's been a proven fact. I mean, if you go back, you look at statistics of players who have played, they're always playing better. Taylor Townsend, for instance. Team tennis has made her a better tennis player just by the fact of putting her butt out there every single day, you know, in front of people, having the pressure of her teammates. You know, we depend on her. You know, she's our horse. I mean, she's the reason why we won. I don't think she lost a set until, you know, uh, towards the end of the season. I and mean, she carrying over from the season before. She was like undefeated. She never lost a set. That's hard to do in anything.
1: And the the ambiance is so good for her. It's it's a kind of high pressure. You feel that anxiety, oh, yeah. the the nerves are all there even though everyone thinks, "Oh, it's just world team tennis." But there's a crowd, there's teammates, there's no. Billie Jean King.
3: The the last one is probably the toughest one. I tell everybody during the match, don't look at her. Don't if she's there watching, just don't look at her. I mean, she's so passionate about there, and you see her, you know, pumping her fists, and she will yell at the players, like encourage yelling, you know, like come on, and you know, get your toss up, you know, get up to the ball, and come on, and, and you know, but you know, people are like that's. Billie Jean King yelling at me you know it's, it, it can be a bit intimidating
1: absolutely I mean uh, absolutely yeah. I've met her a few times and she's she right on it
3: pierces you with her eyes and I, engages you she
1: breaks you apart to your soul <laughs> and I'm like Billie Jean I don't even play tennis <laughs> I
2: remember playing against Taylor Townsend in Philly with Billie Jean King yes like in in the yeah in the how was that I yeah was just, I mean I was just like <laughs> don't look over there <laughs> yeah, that, right that. I'm not. I right,
3: yeah. yeah. No, I think I remember that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a close match, wasn't it? Uh, you were up? I think so. I think yeah. you were up a break.
2: Did you yes. lose in front of Billie Jean? No, I won. I that, won. Was, that was that when was when you won. Match.
3: Yeah, you beat mm-hmm.
1: her. That was a good match.
3: That was before she went on a winning streak. Thank God you weren't playing this year. <laughs> so you got to play next year, Irina. Yeah,
1: come What's back. The plan. So looking ahead, what is the ideal scenario for you, maybe the next six months?
3: Maybe to college. get a job. <laughs> That's what my dad always tells me. Do you have a job yet? I, no, but I do. Uh, I've got a side business. I I'm selling LED tennis court lights for so anybody who wants them, you're gonna have to need you're gonna need them at some point. So you might as well buy them for me.
1: All right. Wow. Duly noted. Is that your own full, full full your own business?
3: No, 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 no. I'm a i am i do sales for a particular company.
2: Okay. But right.
3: the lights are the best. I can tell you.
2: All right. What's the name of the company?
3: Uh, Green Energy Innovations. The name of the light is a Gigatera, 400 mawa, and it is a, it's a, it replaces the thousand watt haloid. You know all the big shoe boxes you see up there. These things they will cover a court. It's pretty expensive, but you're going to get foot candles of you know above 80 to 110, which is you know ATP level. Yeah, I know my lights.
1: I've never thought about lights before.
3: Yeah, neither have I. But, you know, sometimes you need to pay bills.
1: Do you hope to pick up a player when you think about a dream scenario, someone who's like top 10 or someone who's a little younger no. on the way up?
3: No, I, I really changed. I would like a player, a younger player that, you know, has top 10 potential that I see that I can get along, that I can help right away and just kind of get them up there and then let them go. You know, that's the scenario I'd love, you know, younger player that you can kind of mold and you can get disciplined and they can benefit from my experience and I can benefit from their youth and see kind of how, how different they play the game because the game's changed over the years quite a bit. And it's really interesting to see it. And, you know, as a coach, I got to keep up with a lot of different things, you know, mainly the technology of, uh, all the tools that are available and, you know, the analytics and the numbers, it gets dizzy. And I don't, I don't like to use a lot of numbers. I mean, I I'd rather do it off feel because, you know, tennis still is an individual sport and we're dealing with human beings. It's not artificial intelligence, at least not yet. And I don't think it'll ever be, but some of the, I just think some of the Uh, The numbers and statistics are jammed down our throats through the organizations and through, you know, the ATP and the WTA. And they want us to use tablets. They want us to, you know, talk about uh, all the statistics. And, yeah, I'm all for numbers. There are certain numbers that I look for that do make sense. And, you know, we do look at stats. But, uh, you know, you have to pick what, what works best for you and your player.
1: Well, hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, you'll have this nice young player to work with, this secure job, (laughs) and the lights going rapidly on sale. Yeah,
3: right. That's right. And uh, yeah, I'll be lighting up a a Grand Slam somewhere.
1: All right. Well, Um, thank you. I think this has been an excellent episode, and we've been honored to have Craig Carden on. On his birthday. On his birthday. Happy birthday. Hope you have an enjoyable dinner tonight.
3: Oh, I'm sure I will. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.
1: From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer Luke Mahoney, producers Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.